This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? Pretty good. How about you? Good. We've had uh, had a good week here. Had some some contacts with some uh, Hollywood types. So uh, look forward to some interesting things going on in that. We have an interview today. Our first uh, ever actor interview. So look forward to that. Uh, we talked to Lester Green, who is a, uh, a young up-and-coming actor. Um what else happened this week? We're uh, we're continuing to build our podcast network, which is is good. Um, skeptical skeptics are on board with us, Mike. So uh, nice. we'll, so we'll, we'll be guests with them last week. Yeah, the la- last week with them was really good. So we'll uh, I know um, we'll both be guesting on their show at some point in the future when they talk about uh, different topics. We've kind of started coordinating with them on that, so we'll let you know when that happens. And everyone can check that out. Um, so the news today. We've had, uh, it's been a busy, a little bit of a busy time for news, which is interesting in February. Oh, also real quick, we did, um, we had another episode of Retro Late Fee. For anyone listening to this, it will be two days ago now that it came out. Um and it was uh it was quite good. We talked about the movie My Father the Hero, which stars uh a young Katherine Heigl, a not legal Katherine Heigl, and uh Gerard Butler. Or no, not Gerard Butler, uh Gerard Gerard Debardeau, yeah. Who looks it was the weirdest looking person that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> He just, he looks so weird. He looks like, uh, like, he looks like a mountain made into a human being. Like, he's <laughs> like, not, the, rock, like the rock biter kind of? Yeah, exactly. Like, he's not fat, he's just big and like, like, bulgy. Like, he's like, he's a lumpy like a human being. <laughs> he's just lumpy. He's lumpy motherfucker. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we uh, we had a good time talking about that. The uh, the Winter Olympics opened uh, twenty. Oh, by the way, Mike, there's a uh, I came up with on the fly. There's a little interesting um, origin to our hatred of the Scandinavian countries when I talk oh, yeah. about the '94 Lillehammer Olympics. <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah, definitely check into that and uh, the news. So. We, uh, let's see. Okay. Um, there's Martin Scorsese is making a new movie called Young Irish. It's, it's, uh, finished. Oh, is that what I, I heard it was called The Irishman. Or The Irishman. Yeah, I'm sorry. The Irishman. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's finished filming. It's going to come out on Netflix in October. But one of the things about it is the, uh, a 
good portion of the beginning of the movie, because it takes place over several decades, they're going to use de-aging technology to make Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, amongst some others, I know Ray Romano's in it as well, look younger. Um, Obviously, Marvel's kind of revolutionized this de-aging technology. It's gotten a lot better looking than it it has in the past. Uh, Specifically, Michael Douglas's de-aging job uh, at the beginning of Avengers Age of Ultron looks really, really good. But I've only seen it in small little snippets. So it'll be interesting Uh, to see how it looks for a big part of the film. I I heard that um, that, uh, Nick... Fury is going to be DH as well in the Miss Marvel movie. Is that something that I'm saying correctly? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, Captain Marvel is take takes place in the 90s, I think 96. Um, and yep. so obviously they'll be de-aging him, although he looks, I mean. Yeah, I don't you, think he has to do much work with Samuel Jackson. Yeah, if you look at him from Pulp Fiction and you look at him now, he's fucking 70, which is insane to me. But uh, he does not look that much different. So yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. It'll be Robert De Niro's face has definitely aged, so it will be interesting uh, yes. to see. I think he might have been keeping it in water for the past ten years. <laughs> uh, now I know Tell you. Me, yep. You know anything else about this Irishman movie? Because I I only heard about it the other day when I heard about the de aging thing. But that's I mean you can't be more excited about a movie that's uh, directed by Martin Scorsese with uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in it. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and Ray Romano, too. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah. But, uh, no, I love Ray Romano, though. But, um, Not no. everybody. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's interesting that it's coming straight to Netflix. But, you know, Alfonso Cuaron's latest movie came straight to Netflix. So they're definitely getting some some good films. This This movie will have yeah. a limited release in the theaters like the other ones, so they're eligible for the Academy Awards. But yeah, I mean, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and Martin Scorsese teaming up. This will be the first time that he actually directs Al Pacino because he produced Heat, uh, but he did not direct it. I didn't even know he uh, produced it. I think I know mm-hmm. that that was the only movie they were both in, um, or the first one they were both in, you know, mm-hmm. in contact with each other, because obviously they were both in The Godfather Part Two, but their characters never interact. Right, exactly. Well, they do, but they don't. Right, yep. And in, in Heat, like, there's actually, it's kind of funny because the scene where they're in the diner, where you see them both on screen at the same time, uh, that actually, there was certain versions that were, it was not letterbox format, so you actually couldn't see them both at the same time, so you actually had to <laughs> make sure it was in a certain format. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is something, you know, everyone would have loved to see 30, 40 years ago. But, I mean, the fact that it's Martin Scorsese, and I, I still have not seen a bad movie from him. They just seem to be getting better. So, Martin Scorsese, I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. And Martin, and I like that it's coming to Netflix because uh, I, I just enjoy watching movies in my house. But, yeah, um, that, that's, what, that's what it is. But, uh, yeah, Martin Scorsese is just one of those people that was born to make movies. He, he just knows... He knows how to make a film, and there, you know, there are some that are better than others. But yeah, I haven't seen Martin Scorsese make a bad film yet. So, I mean, I haven't seen. Didn't he do J. Edgar? I, I heard, I heard it in the greatest reviews, but I haven't seen it. I'm I can't remember if he directed sure. that or not. But I know he had something he to do with it. But I, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. That could be, uh, that could be uh, a bad one, I suppose. But he certainly like he hasn't made like you know. Um, Spielberg's made some 
some pretty bad films, you know, and uh, like M. Night Shyamalan has made some movies that, you know, are a lot worse than, uh, you know, some of his better ones. So, yeah, I don't think Scorsese's dipped as low as some other people. No. Um, I know you didn't see Aquaman, but and neither did I. Nope. Honestly, but apparently, That's a twist. apparently, right? But apparently, there's a a part in the movie where uh, they go down to this trench. That's a big spooky trench, and they're uh, they're gonna make a horror movie called The Trench, based on uh, like it's a James Wan uh, Aquaman spinoff. James Wan is you know obviously he's made some horror films in the past. From what I've heard, Aquaman is a really weird movie anyway. This is going to make it even stranger. So that's interesting, I guess. I really don't have any interest in seeing it. Well, I think we both know I'm never going to see this movie. Yeah, Noah Gardner and Aiden Fitzgerald. It's like like Aquaman, but without Aquaman. (laughs) Did you like Aquaman? Inexplicably, yes. Well, why don't you watch this horror movie rip off of it? (laughs) Uh yeah, I can't believe how much money that movie made. Um, I mean, I mean good for Jason Momoa, but yeah, I, I never. I mean, obviously the character is kind of ridiculous in uh, most forms. Yeah, Aquaman has always been the most ridiculous character and premise of uh, even even children that read comic books hated Aquaman. That's mm-hmm. how wild he is as a character goes. Um, I don't know about your 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 kids like the Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, no, I mean, uh, around Halloween, we'll listen to the This is Halloween song, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes quite a bit, but, um, no, that's, that's about, uh, that's about their extent of joy. Yeah. My kids, uh, don't really get into it that much either, which makes me question why apparently, although this is like, this is a really weird story that I read. Um, they're thinking of maybe rebooting or doing a sequel a live action reboot or a sequel to the nightmare before Christmas. And basically this is how this story goes. Um, somebody gave, uh, a website inside information who I guess has been reliable before that they were on a call with some of the executives and they said, Hey, uh, what are we doing with nightmare before Christmas? We should do something with it like a sequel or a live action reboot. And then one, you know, one magazine got the story from that magazine who got the story from another magazine. And then I saw the story and then I reported it to people. And it's like, uh, I, I actually wrote in the thing that I, that I, uh, put, I said, uh, so if you're, if you're wondering if, um, Disney executives are thinking about their older properties and how they can make more money from them, uh, well, there's your answer. They are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, they have the stuff pretty prominently displayed at the Disney store if you ever go in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just makes sense that they would try to monetize it like they have everything else. But I mean, I, I, I don't, it's a weird, it's a very weird and specific age group that's really into that movie. I think it's people who are slightly younger than you and I are. Yep. I think it came out, you know, I don't know when it came out, what, maybe early 90s or so. I wasn't really watching, you know, cartoons in the movie theater at that time, but I'm sure, you know, there are plenty of kids you know who were a couple years younger than us who did and really fell in love with the movie yeah i think if you were born between like 1982 and 1984 or five then uh then you really like that movie and i don't know that it has a big audience outside 
of that demographic unless you're just a super hardcore Tim Burton fan for some reason. Even though a lot of people don't even though a lot of people don't know Tim Burton didn't direct that movie. Yeah, I, I always I always thought he had, but I think it's just his name slept on as like a producer, isn't it? Frank Selby? Yeah. Inc. Herbert Selby, something Selby. I don't know. It's just like uh, Gremlins. A lot of people think Steven Spielberg directed Gremlins and he didn't because it says Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. It's a Joe Dante movie. Yeah, that's how like a lot of Quentin, like when Quentin Tarantino, like for a while he would like be like you know be listed as a producer. I'm sure for like some you know good chunk of money. Hmm. So it'd be like Quentin Tarantino presents Curdled or Quentin Tarantino you know presents so and so. But yeah, speaking of. Um... Speaking of Disney trying to monetize things, did you see the pictures of Will Smith as the genie in the new Aladdin movie that's coming out? Yeah, I did see some of those. They, I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I like a lot of people are are not up in arms, but a lot of people are, you know, talking about how ridiculous it looks and everything. But at the same time, it's like I don't know what they what what are they gonna do? I mean, if they're gonna paint him blue then he's going to be a blue-painted man. It's not going to be the same as drawing a blue genie. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't... I don't know why they wouldn't just CGI the entire genie, you know? And they could yeah, maybe even pay, like, Robert Williams' estate, you know, to use his voice if it's going to be, like, the same lines and everything anyways. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I have no interest in seeing Aladdin or The Lion King or any of their yeah. other shot-for-shot remakes that they're making live action for yeah. some... Re- well, I know the reason, for money. Yeah, I have no... It's weird because like I think Aladdin's one of those movies you can't really watch now. So, I mean, I wonder if they're going to release the live action and then, you know, release <laughs> the video version. Yeah. <laughs> what? No. Oh, you mean you can't watch it because you can't find it? Yeah, because, like, you know how Disney will, like, hold on to, like, some videos? Mm-hmm. Like, they call it, like, their vault. Like, you can only get certain movies available. Like, they basically restrict the, you know, access to their movies. Mm-hmm. And Aladdin is one because I know my uh, my sister in law wanted to get a copy of it, but it just it just was not for sale, and I don't even know if it is now. So I wonder if they'll release it after this, you know, to capitalize on the uh, live action movie. Yeah, pro- I would assume they probably will. Um, yeah, it's weird how they do that. Like they've taken uh, they've taken a lesson from De Beers, where they just make their movies uh, scarce. Pretty much. Uh, the so uh, speaking of scarce. Because I think the audience for this will be scarce. Um, we we <laughs> talked about last uh, we talked about last week um, that Jaws movie or that uh, Big Shark movie that Tommy Wiseau's making. Yeah, isn't it called Big Shark? Yeah, it's called Big Shark. I <laughs> I saw the trailer. They they actually released the trailer online, and it's ba- I it was out. it's basically what uh, what that guy described it as. And it, it, it's it's hilarious. The trailer just looks. Tommy Wiseau is either the most inept filmmaker that has ever lived, or a fucking genius. <laughs> one one of the two. Because like uh, I know the room has a huge cult following because of how bad it was made. But I just, I really don't think, I don't think he's a genius because I really don't think that you can plan that. I don't think you can plan to make a good, bad movie. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just one of those things that happens. It's a, it's a very weird, like, confluence of different things for sure. Like, it's, I mean, like, I know you used to, like, always watch movies just, like, for the sheer, you know, humor value of how badly they were made. Yeah. 
But it's, it's it's weird because it has to be a certain level of good to really enjoy a bad movie. Like it can't just be completely abysmally bad because it's no. just like unwatchable. No, you're right. There's there's a weird there's a weird alchemy to it. There has to be a little bit of attention. You have to tell me tried. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah, Colin and I used to watch uh, movies like that all like every weekend. We'd go to uh, like Blockbuster or home theater video or something like that and, and rent uh, just tons of bad movies to make fun of. Yeah. Yeah, I never really get into that, but uh, there's some movies like I just don't know why I enjoy watching them. Like like the movie Grandma's Boy, which we did, or not Grandma's Boy, um, the movie, shit, what's that movie called? Oh, um, the Sun One? That's my boy. That's, That's my, my boy. boy, yeah. It's just a weird... See, there's parts I... I mean, I never find myself laughing out loud to the movie. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's parts that I just really enjoy just because they're so, like, so ludicrous. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I don't enjoy them purely on an ironic level. They're, I mean, I genuinely enjoy certain parts of the movie, but it's just, like, it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. It was more enjoyable watching that movie than I thought it was going to be when we did the audio commentary for that. Yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of what it was. It was like one of those movies that kind of it's like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it would be, but it's still surely bad. I mean, it's just not as bad, but I don't know. It elevated it to the point of being watchable, I guess. But speaking of uh, what we're watching, let's talk about what we're watching. Um, this week, uh, I've been I'm caught up now, but uh, my wife and I watch a show that's in its final season right now called uh, You're the Worst. It's on FXX. Um, you can see it on Hulu and, and stuff like that. Are you familiar with it at all? Um, I've heard of it. Like I've seen previews and like something saying last season, but I, I know nothing about this. It's a lot of adults behaving badly kind of thing where it's sort of an arrested develop not not arrest not like the show arrested development, but the the characters actually are suffering from arrested development where Basically, it's two people that kind of say what's on their mind all the time, and they don't care, and they're mean and kind of stupid, <laughs> and that's that's basically. But it's it is genuinely funny, and it's I don't like I don't know exactly how to describe it. They both have problems, and they get together, and there's sort of an emotional connection between the two of them. That you can feel like they the show does a really weird like a really good job of establishing like making you care about the characters while at the same time making them sort of reprehensible because <laughs> a lot of what they do is really messed up but then they have reasons for why they're so messed up and a lot of it comes back to their parents it's it's kind of an odd mismatch of a lot of things but it is a, a funny and enjoyable show to watch it does turn me off sometimes though too it's really weird it's like the only thing i've ever watched where i'm like i like this show but then sometimes a scene or a an episode will happen and i'm like oh god why <laughs> and not out of like disgust not like not like um like jackass or something like that where someone's getting like their testicles stapled so not like shock value but out of more like why like why would someone do that why would you why would you say that why would you be like that kind of thing um, right. but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting show. So I think, um, you know, the audience can check it out if they're, if they're so inclined to watch, uh, like I said, it's kind of like, uh, adults behaving badly type of thing. I'll wait till the uh, shot by shot remake. 
is yeah, uh, released exactly. by Disney in 20 years. <laughs> the shot by shot remake with, um, let's see, 20 years from now, who would it be? One of the guys from Stranger Will- Things. Willow Smith. Yeah, there you go. And Willow Smith. Will Smith. As the genie. Will Smith will have pushed her uh, fully into acting at that point. Have you been watching anything this week? I, I've been watching a lot of uh, YouTube series lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one I, I've mentioned this before, but I just love it. I, I could just, uh, it's just something you could turn on and just, you know, pay attention to or not. Uh, it's um, the hot, hot ones. It's like the show where they uh, do like 10 questions and 10 like increasingly hotter uh, types of hot sauces. I keep, not to interrupt you, but I keep forgetting to tell you ever since you first mentioned that. I've been watching that show. I watched like I've I've seen probably like twenty of them or thirty yeah, of them or I, something I, like I've that. I've seen a lot. Yeah, it's just like and the best part about it is I realized yeah because uh, Seth Meyers was like the most recent one on there because mm-hmm. I, I I subscribed. I'm like I'm not really a big Seth Meyers fan, but I'm like you know what I'll still enjoy this. Yep. <laughs> if I like the person or if I don't, I'll enjoy the uh, I'll enjoy the show. Yeah, the yeah. Go- the Gordon Ramsay one was hilarious. Yeah, I really like uh, the host is really good. I think uh, Sean Evans, mm-hmm. um, and just like uh, you know the guest, it's it's funny. I, I watched uh, Joel Embiid the other day, okay. and he was pretty hilarious because he kept insisting that it wasn't hot, but like he could still made his face that <laughs> he was not having a good time. I saw Brian. I watched the Brian Cranston one too. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't see that. I yeah. saw they had T.J. Miller. I want to see that one too. I think they had, they had Charlie Day on too, right? Yeah, I saw that one. They had um, Johnny Knoxville um, and Steve-O as well. Uh, Jim, there's a lot of like surprising uh, surprising guests. Like Jim Gaffigan was on there. I saw that last yeah, night. Yeah, I saw that Natalie one too. Portman. Yep. Yeah, it's just a, just a really, really good show. I like it a lot. And then I watch a lot of podcasts. Like um, I think it's called uh, About Last Night with Theo Vaughn. That's pretty funny. And then I, you know, I just go into like, uh, wormholes. But that's all I've been watching lately is uh, YouTube. I mean, I know the Grammys are on, but I'm not really interested in the type of music that's on the Grammys. Yeah, me either. So I've been watching YouTube, listening to podcasts, the Joe Rogan podcast, and the Gilbert Godfrey one, and that's basically all I've been doing entertainment-wise. That's good research, though, for for doing our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll just rip theirs off. <laughs> it's called an homage. Uh, it's called a shot-by-shot remake of that uh, joke. <laughs> oh, oh. So... Speaking of crap, um, well, we really weren't, but I, I wasn't going to say speaking of homage or ripping off. I, I guess this does kind of rip off something uh, called, you know, like uh, that movie Blood Feast. But um, for educating Mike today, since our main topic is going to be uh, Velvet Buzzsaw, which is sort of a surprise horror film. I went and looked around to see if I could find one of the worst horror films that I could find, and I found a movie called Blood Diner. Uh, This movie came out in 1987. It's uh, directed by Jackie Kong and written by Michael Sonyi. Here is the plot of... I'm going to read the plot, and then I'm going to read the parental guide to it, too. Because the plot's kind of (laughs) short. But uh, two brothers, Michael Tutman and George Tutman, are brainwashed by their serial killer uncle, Anwar Namtut. And if you look, it's really easy to see that Namtut is just Tutman spelled backwards. (laughs) So I'm not exactly sure what that's about. I I don't know why... 
their uncles, if it's their maternal uncle, then uh, some dude named Tutman just happened to marry someone <laughs> that uh, that had the name Namtut as a maiden name, which is their name spelled backwards. I don't know exactly. I tried doing the first name backwards, but it's Rorna. They, uh, they want to put a hyphen on it and have a palindrome for their uh, last name. <laughs> right. But uh, so they're they're brainwashed by him into completing his task of resurrecting the ancient Lumerian goddess Shitar. Uh, their mission is given to them once they resurrect him from his grave. And so I don't know how exactly he got this message to them, how they be brainwashed. Did he brainwash him before he died and then he died and then they resurrected him or was he already dead and he resurrected as a ghost? I don't know. But anyway, for the remainder of the movie, Anwar Namtut is a brain in a mason jar with genitals that commands the brothers. In order to complete their mission, the brothers must collect different body parts from many immoral women, stitch them together, and then call forth the goddess at a blood buffet with a virgin to sacrifice ready for her to eat. <laughs> the brothers cho- choose women for their blood buffet from those that enter into their wildly popular vegetarian restaurants. How how popular would a vegetarian restaurant be in 1987 if it wasn't in California, do you think? Uh, not very popular at all. Uh, meanwhile, two mismatched detectives... <laughs> Work together to try to track them down before more carnage can ensue. Now, they must be really bad detectives because um, they're at their diner, I just read. The one they own. So, they should be pretty easy to find. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I I love the mismatched detectives. Played by Lynette LaFrance and Roger Dower. Uh, it holds a 50% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but that is based on five reviews. How is that possible? So not, uh, apparently, yeah, that's, that's true. Like it. That's true. <laughs> One person is completely split on it. <laughs> Come on, we got our tiebreaker. Oh, I could go either way. <laughs> oh, But here's the parent's guide for this uh, this movie. Sex and nudity, moderate. This is a moderate amount of sex and nudity. A woman fights a man completely naked, full frontal nudity shown. Six female cheerleaders are shown exercising. They are topless. And a female photographer is topless, other than a jacket thrown over her shoulders. A guy exercises with them, wearing shorts. So that's a uh, moderate amount of nudity. I can see how this got the uh, the fifty percent approval. I see, <laughs> right? Violence and gore severe. Multiple scenes of blood and gore with strong humorous overtones. A man is run over multiple times by a car while the driver grotesquely smiles, but soon becomes funny <laughs> when the guy keeps trying to get up. <laughs> I love, I love that the re- the reviewer changed his mind like halfway through writing it. Ah, but it soon becomes funny because he keeps trying to get up. Like, like if he wasn't fighting back, it's not funny. <laughs> but now that they're working off each other, he can see the humor in it. 
<laughs> a man is hit in the stomach. Later, he is nearly hit again and runs away. What? Is... <laughs> That's part of the severe violence. Okay. A man is shot several times off camera. That's probably, I mean, like, that could be true of any movie if you think about it. I'll bet you there, right. I bet you there are a lot of shootings off camera that just don't have I anything mean, to do with the film. I mean, really, if you consider the film as being a world, any modern world film, there's all sorts of crimes going on out there off camera. That's right. Uh, so profanity is moderate. Profanity such as fuck, shit, and other minor ones are used moderately. And then uh, frightening and intense scenes. There's one note here. This is another one I like. This movie is a horror movie and does deal with... Oh, it says severe. The frightening and intense scenes. This movie is a horror movie and does deal with several disturbing themes and ideas. But it does so with a lighthearted, comical tone, playing the more gruesome scenes for humor rather than horror. Still severe somehow. But I love that one. What if it's just the review is written by a sociopath? Like, like they just like were technically like considered to be severe, but they just like didn't realize that it was like much more da- you know damning than what they thought. <laughs> oh my god! So that is educating Mike for this week. Um, I have I feel a lot more educated now. Yeah, I have something for you. Uh, next time we do uh, one of our multi-part series on uh, director, like we did with Kevin Smith. Um, I found another Dark Horse comic that is Alien versus Predator versus Terminator. Oh, yeah, that's an older one, I think. Yeah, and it's a four-part series. So I, I want to do that next time we do a multi-part thing like we did with Kevin Smith. Uh, I think that will be pretty good. I've read the first, the first uh, one so far. And it's uh, it's interesting. I think I think it'll be a good uh, a good educating Mike segment. That's fair. Yeah, I was thinking the other day about like uh, you know what our next multi part series. Like I, I thought we were talking about a certain director. I just couldn't remember who it was. Well, we talked about Quentin Tarantino. We talked about the Coen Brothers. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Scorsese would be a good one to do too. Yeah, I haven't seen the earlier ones, but even like if you just go with like certain eras, like his Leonardo DiCaprio ones or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or really, just talk about The Departed because I love that. I've been watching that movie. That's what I've been watching a lot lately. Uh, the Departed. I watched it twice in the last two weeks, which is a lot for me. Yeah, that's a good movie for sure. It's on Netflix now. Oh, is it? I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. So is the original Terminator, which I also watched. That's another great movie. The the original one, I think, is still my favorite one. I, I think I still like it better than Terminator 2. I would I think I like Terminator 2 better, but that's because I saw it first. And, yeah. you know, it's just that was my first introduction. And also it features uh, Arcade Boy. That's a, right. Uh, a, a youth who was thrown into a uh, video game by the Terminator. Yep. Oh, uh, well, speaking of uh, introducing ourselves, let's uh, now introduce ourselves to our uh, guest today. Okay, we are here with our first ever uh, celebrity interview. We have Lester Green. You can see him 
on uh, The Widowers, which is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can get that from iTunes. Uh, he's got some uh, exciting projects coming up. Uh, very talented, young and up-and-coming actor. So uh, welcome, Lester Green. How are you? Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, we appreciate you uh, coming by for sure. Um, I know that you, uh, you've you had a bit of a non-traditional way into acting, uh, especially now in this day and age, it seems like it's a lot, uh, there are a lot more avenues to get into acting. I know that uh, you, you've uh, written a lot, you've wrote a lot of books, uh, you've had a uh, pretty substantial music career. Uh, you've done some things on the internet and now you're, you're into acting. Um, do you, do you think that, uh, the way, do you think that it's easier to get into feature films now than it has been? Or do you think because of the proliferation and the increased competition, it's something that is harder now? No, I think it's easier now because technology is so advanced. People can literally use their own cell phones to create their own films, shop it around, submit it to various festivals. You don't have to wait for a big machine to come and say, okay, yeah, we're going to green light your project. Those days, those days are over. Right. So I feel like now is the day where independent artists can take control of their own careers. Yeah. And um, do, does you, do you find that that frees up a lot more uh, creativity as far as projects go when the, you don't have to jump through so many hoops to, to kind of uh, get your vision right. on the screen? It's, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think once you have full control over your project, you don't necessarily have to cater to a certain audience or to the machine, if you will. I think you can just kind of create what you want to create. And I think that's where the best possible product comes out. You know what I mean? When you don't have any restrictions and they're not tying your arms behind your back, I think freedom of expression is just being able to go out there and just create. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, I know that you, uh, you wrote a book, uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, paperback and digital. Uh, it's called, um, act like you love yourself. Uh, I read, uh, I read through the book. It's, uh, it's very interesting. It's a very good book. Every, anyone, uh, that's interested, especially in, in acting should go and, and pick it up. It's a pretty, at least at the beginning, it's a pretty in-depth guide into sort of what to expect when you're starting out in an acting career, uh, steps that you need to take. Uh, what kind of motivated you to write uh, this book? Well, I just feel like in this day and age, it's so important to really love yourself. I see a lot of people walking around with low self-esteem and you see a lot of people just doubting themselves. And I think in order to be successful in anything, not just acting, but just in life, you have to really believe in yourself. You have to have a certain confidence. So, for example, when I walk into an audition room, I'm walking up in that room with my head held up high, and I'm believing that I can do anything. So it's really a matter of having the right state of mind. I've got to feel like that's probably the best advice that any um – that any aspiring actors could get out there because I know having not, not really being in the business myself, but I know that um, 
that a lot of people go into auditions trying to please casting directors or trying to please directors or trying to be what they, Mm. what they want them to be. But, uh, you know, like, as you said, if you go in there, you know, and do it for yourself, it seems to me like that kind of confidence, uh, and, and poise would shine through. Right. Exactly. When I go into the audition room, as long as I do exactly what I set out to do, and that's just being confident and not holding back, then I can live with the results. Mm-hmm. I think when you go in there and you try to do something that you think they want, I just feel like you fall flat on your face. And then what ends up happening is you regret that choice that you made. But at that point, it's too late to take it back. Right, exactly. Um, now, I know, uh, you know, in addition to the writing and the acting, like I said, you you had a... Uh, a pretty uh, a pretty good rap career going. I know you released uh, uh, four albums, uh, including the the Greenhouse Effect and uh, Green Room. Um, those are available on uh, iTunes. Uh, definitely uh, check check some of those tracks out. A lot of um, you know political inspired uh, lyrics. A lot of uh, I really enjoyed. I listened to uh, I listened to a lot of uh, the Greenhouse Effect. And I really enjoyed a lot of the uh, a lot of the the lyrics, you know, your, your style on there. Um, what what made you leave the uh, the you know your career in hip hop and music and and sort of pursue one in acting? Well, that's a great question. I think with music, music and acting almost go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So for me. I feel like using my voice as an expression is so important. So whether I'm rapping or acting in a scene or being in a movie, they're all very similar. So it's not like I really left music because I still make music for documentaries. I recently mm-hmm. created a song for mm-hmm. a documentary called You're Not Alone. So I'm constantly weaving in and out of both mediums. Yeah. Uh, and obviously we, we've seen, you know, some other people do that as well. Um, one thing that struck me from uh, listening to your uh, uh, albums is that uh, you you talk a lot about your sexual orientation, uh, you being gay, and you know, and you can correct you can correct me if I'm wrong, but and a lot mm-hmm. of my evidence is anecdotal for this, but it seems to me that the the black community is perhaps one of the communities that are a little slower to accept uh, the homosexuality and uh, homosexual lifestyle. And I wonder how that uh, affected your music career, how that affected your outlook on, uh, on things. Wow. That's a great question, Mark. I really appreciate that one. Well, for me, when I first started making music, I was just making music that would cater to the masses. I wasn't really trying to make music that came from my soul. So the minute I made that transition into making music for myself, I created a song called Regular Person. And that's on my album called No Bush Straight something. I don't want to say that word. but <laughs> And so, that, yeah, I don't know if you saw the title called oh, No Bush Straight. Okay, yeah. So I did that song, Regular Person, and I felt like my music just sounded so much better. It was so much more authentic. And that was the real me. Mm-hmm. And then once I made that song, 
I just stayed in that same vein and I started creating music that spoke to my soul. And now when I look back on it, those are the songs that stand out the most to me because that's me speaking as Lester Green. Right. Yeah, I've done some writing. Uh, I have some some novels myself uh, out there. Oh, nice. <laughs> and um, oh, okay. I think, uh, you know, I think in all forms of artistic expression, truth is so important. Um, mm. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that's kind of what you're, you're speaking to as far as, uh, as, you know, music goes and everything. Um, right. You know, once you can speak your truth, then that kind of, uh, it elevates things. That's what yes, speaks to absolutely. absolutely. And then from there, I just built upon that and I created another album called Cocktails that I did with my friend Tori Fix in Minnesota. And he's also a gay artist. And we were able to create something that was just so powerful because we were speaking our truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great question. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. And I know, like, uh, when you began your acting career, I know that um, Lorenz Tate uh, was a big inspiration uh, to you. You guys worked together on Power. Um, obviously, uh, people know him from Menace to Society, uh, Crash, films like that. Talk about a little bit uh, how it was to to work with him and and kind of things that you learned from from the style that he brought to acting. Yeah, so I first saw Lorenz Tate act in this show called Rescue Nine One One. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's still on. And he did this scene with this other actor. And I was a background actor at the time. And I just remember watching him and saying to myself, wow, I could see myself doing the same thing. I saw myself in him. And he just inspired me from that point. And then that's when I realized, oh, I really want to be an actor. I really want to pursue this. So I stopped doing background acting. And then I started auditioning for student films and short films. And feature films and then I started booking television shows with speaking roles mm-hmm. so it was a constant progression it was a gradual progression but it was something that started from that moment when I saw Lorenz Tate on 911 Rescue 911 and I know you've done a lot of uh commercial acting as well as in in films and uh television and I yeah. what is, what do you think is one of the big differences between preparing for and performing in a commercial as opposed to performing in a television show or a movie? Well, the funny thing is commercial acting a few years ago was always a little over the top in terms of the acting because you were selling a product. So you had Mm -hmm. to really kind of bring more energy, more enthusiasm. But now as I, move forward with my acting career and even commercial acting, I see that they want real people. They want real, realistic acting. There's no over-the-top cheesy acting anymore. So really, it's similar. TV acting and film acting and commercial acting are similar in that it's very grounded. Mm -hmm. So, For example, I just booked a MetLife casting, uh, MetLife commercial two days ago. And they were looking for bus drivers, authentic bus drivers. I happen to be a bus driver. I've been a bus driver for about 12 years now. And so for me, 
all they wanted me to do was just be myself because that's what the audience relates to. They want to be able to relate to real people, not people who are acting over the top. So now commercial acting is just very grounded, like television acting and film acting. Right. Um, and I know you've done, you've done a lot of, uh, you know, you've had um, a role on, on Gotham, the uh, the television series. Oh, yeah. You've done, yeah. uh, you were on uh, 50 Central, I know, uh, 50 Cent's um, show. Oh, right. And now, what do you, do you think that there's, uh, like, production-wise, do you think there's a big, a big difference between a, um, like, a network show like Gotham and, you know, an internet show or a, an independent feature what what do you think is the the biggest difference as far as production wise goes on you know in those things? Well, that's a pretty easy one. I'd say money, the mm-hmm. budget. I feel like when you're talking about shows like Gotham, I was on Gotham, I was on Power, I was on Fifty Central, John Glasser Loves Gear. All these television shows, they have a they have a, a bigger budget. But with that being said, today's the day of the internet age. So now you don't necessarily have to have a lot of money to get your story out there or to even get picked up. I've seen shows start out as web series, you know, it'll start out as a web series and then it'll get a fan base, get a nice following. And then next thing you know, Netflix picks it up. So just because you don't necessarily have a lot of money, that doesn't mean that you can't get picked up by a huge business or a huge company per se. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, now, yeah. do you do you have any like dream role? Any kind of uh, you know something that you would just die to to do? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. I recently saw a film called The Intouchables. Mm-hmm. It's it's an old film, but it starred this African American guy who was from the streets and he met this older white gentleman who was a paraplegic and it just showed how these two had to work together in order to help each other. And I've always wanted to play a character who had to come from a different side of the world in order to mix with another person. So it just shows dynamic between two characters. So I, I like being able to stretch myself and being able to cross over into another world in order to be understood. So I'd probably go with something like that. I love just playing characters like that. You've done a lot of of writing, directing, producing, obviously acting, uh, music. Is there one, if, if you had to choose one, which one of those do you think would be the most rewarding? Probably acting because I just love it. I love the idea of playing a character and going under a disguise. I think it's great. For I, I'll give you an example. Just uh, yesterday, I got a call from my manager, Ben Padaway, and he told me that I had booked this new role for a feature film that's coming out. It's a SAG project, of course. Mm-hmm. And I had auditioned for this project months ago. It was a self-tape. I didn't hear it from the producers, and I figured I didn't get it. And then a couple of days ago, I hear from my manager, and he tells me, yeah, Lester, they, they want to use you. They want to cast you. And so that kind of 
I don't know, that just really does something to me when I land an acting job. It really just makes me want to keep going. So I would say acting is probably the number one thing that I love doing. So what do you think the ultimate goal is? Like, uh, let's say, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, I'll give you a couple different scenarios. Uh, So is it to like... Uh, land a, a you know a substantial role in a big like kind of Hollywood production and and get noticed from there or is it say like I know you have uh, you know a film that that you that you wrote and directed Thirty uh, Third Road um, you know right. that, that you guys are going to be you know shopping around to to different um, uh, film festivals looking for distribution and stuff and you know is it, it, it is is that the way you'd rather break in you know take something like that and get shown on you know like netflix or amazon or something like that and gain an audience through there or or you know distribution from one of the bigger uh distribution right. places well for me i had a film called driving force mm-hmm. and raw footage that was aired on cbs and to me, that was a huge accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So at this point in my career, I just want to work consistently. So that means that I don't want to have to work a nine-to-five job while I'm pursuing my acting career. I'd rather just work consistently just acting. Mm-hmm. So that's my goal. I don't necessarily want to be rich and famous. Right. I just want to be able to right. live comfortably acting because I love acting. Okay, well, uh, I will say that uh you know i i've seen some of your performances i love your style uh i think i think everybody should check you out uh uh lester green that now uh i know they can find you on the internet it's uh g-r-e-e-n-e lester green with an e um then uh facebook and and twitter where can people find you yeah all they have to do is go to my website www Lester Green, that's with an E at the end, dot mm-hmm. com. So LesterGreen.com, you go there, you'd be able to get access to my Twitter page, my Facebook page, my Instagram page. Everything's there. So one stop shop. You can get my book and my music and all of my movies there. Okay, everybody check out uh, LesterGreen.com, Lester Green with an E. Uh, check, keep up on uh, what Lester's doing. Thank you for joining us uh, so much today, Lester. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate that. Keep writing. Thanks. You have a good day. All right, buddy. Well, that was uh, quite an interesting conversation, Mike, uh, with Lester Green. I think that uh, you know everyone check him out. And, uh, yeah, he seems like a uh, guy that's going places in the business, as they say. They do say that. <laughs> but our main topic today is a film called Velvet Buzzsaw. That's on Netflix. Uh, it's another one of those ones where I've heard some people talking about it. I did not know anything about this movie, who was in it, what it was about, or anything other than the title. And so Mike and I decided to watch it. Uh, quite interesting. A very interesting film. What, what did you think of it, Mike? I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, you just suggested we watch it. So I'm like, okay, I'll you know give it a shot. Um, I saw, you know, I think... I think I looked it up just to see. I, I do that often. Like, I look up a movie to see, like, kind of like what it's about. And I just saw that it said it was, like, boring or whatever. Someone, you know, some review. Maybe it was Variety. I don't know. I'm like, oh, great. But, you know, whatever. I watched it anyways. It was pretty interesting. It was, um, 
it's about like the world of art. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, whose name I could not tell you. Um, Moth. He was, he's, he, he's he's an art critic. Or morph or something like that. Which yeah. is kind of weird because they never quite explain how he like you know makes a living. I mean, I don't think he does it in a professional capacity. Oh, I guess he does write at some point, like an art. But that just doesn't seem to be lucrative in any sense of the word. Yeah, I like. I don't. I, they didn't ever say what publication he works for or anything. Just that he's posting it and like he's posting it online. So I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's just like a, uh, you know, a thing that only exists in like a movie or a TV series where you're like, mm-hmm. well, I'm an independently wealthy uh, art critic. Right. Yeah, because he has a lot of like, you know, his his house is big and every his apartment or whatever it is is big. And he's got a uh, substantial art collection and everything. Um, you know, Renee Russo's in this as well. There a lot of weird names in this movie. I think her, I can't even remember what her name is. It's actually a reunion. I forgot. It's actually I should have mentioned this earlier. It's from the director of Nightcrawler, who which also features both of those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's I found it very interesting too. It wasn't boring to me. Um, I wouldn't call it a great movie, but it was uh, it was good and it was it was interesting. It turns out, and I guess spoilers from here, it turns out that it's a horror film which I didn't really see coming, not knowing anything about the movie. Um, it's the first movie that I can think of that features a haunted painting or paintings in it since, I guess, uh, Vago the Carpathian from uh, Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> but, um, or Vigo. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's obviously the tone is way different than that. Um, it turns out that uh, this man dies in an apartment building and one of the the women who does uh is a receptionist for one of the art houses renee russo's art house she uh finds him and she talks to this guy that's doing the maintenance and everything he's he's changing out the uh the mailbox of the guy's apartment and says that all, all his stuff in there is getting thrown away he left orders explicitly to throw everything away even at that point, I didn't think, like, oh, this is a horror movie. Um, and she goes in there, and it's all this art that depicts, like, this really gruesome kind of stuff. And, but it fascinates everyone that, that looks at it. And she decides to, to you know, package it all up, and she's going to sell it to, to get rich. And she ends up making a deal with Rene Russo, where she helps her sell the stuff and everything, and and they, um, you know, they make a bunch of money together selling it to different collectors. It's it's the only horror movie I've ever seen that features the art world, and I don't know a lot about the art world, but it seems to be fairly accurate as to what, or at least a fairly accurate accurate caricature of what the art world is like, and. You know, just kind of how there's little rhyme or reason as to why things are popular. Like the the um, the people that own the museums and own the different galleries and things like that seem to kind of just they they're the ones that set the market. This is who's popular. This is who's in demand. This is who you're gonna want, kind of thing. And um, you know, makes sense. Yep. It's a really interesting point too about how some of the greatest like artworks of all time are only seen by like, a very few select elite you know groups. Mm-hmm. 
like yeah. pass through private owner to private owner and they're never really seen in like you know galleries or museums or anything like that yeah absolutely and uh yeah so a lot you know the movie's a lot about uh art it's you know including uh you know film as an art form it's a lot about um you know kind of what people will do to gain fame to gain money and just kind of how like there's a big incestuous relationship amongst the creators and the um the people that sell it and the people that critique it it's funny too john malkovich is in this movie but he does not the, he he doesn't do much in this film at all like I, I, I haven't seen him in forever. I was happy to see him in a movie because he's really good when he's been in things. You know, mm-hmm. I just haven't seen him in the longest time. But I expected his character to play more of a part in the film, and he really, he really yeah, didn't. Barely in the movie. Yeah, and his like you could cut his character out, and the film is basically exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, they may mention him when he's not on screen once or twice, but yeah, it's, I mean, he's good at that, but he's in there for like five minutes, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. ten, I doubt. Yeah, but yeah, he does a very good job. Jake Gyllenhaal uh, does an excellent job uh, as well, which I've come, you know, I think a lot of people have come to expect from him. Rene Russo gives a decent performance. You know, I don't want to be mean, but I don't know what they did with her makeup, but Rene Russo looks like a monster. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I mean, her, like, her forehead is just so, she looks so different than she used to. And I, I feel like it has to be a conscious makeup choice to oh, make I her, to make her look like that. I mean, if that's really how she's aged, I apologize, Miss <laughs> Rosso. <laughs> but it just, there is something about her forehead that just is very weird. <laughs> But anyway, she they, they get. The, I mean, it's not weird, but this monster has a weird forehead. <laughs> but they get the title of the movie because she was in a band called Velvet Buzzsaw in the '80s, sort of like a Velvet Underground punky kind of uh, '80s band, uh, you know, girl band, um, maybe kind of like Bikini Kill, I suppose. But uh, you but like the '80s, Mark? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's the 80s. Um, but yeah, so she's in that band and she has a tattoo on the back of her neck of a buzzsaw that says Velvet Buzzsaw. And it comes up a couple times, her her past. And she used to be an artist, used to be a creator. Now she's more of a purveyor. So I think the movie has a lot to say about about those types of things. But, you know, even more than than a Cretan like me could uh, could get out of the film. But as a uh, as a horror film, it's it's pretty it's pretty atmospheric. There's not a lot of jump scares. It's a, a solidly made horror film uh, from all the technical standpoints. And there are a few there are a few scenes that are genuinely kind of creepy in the film. Um, but yeah, this guy, what's his name, uh, Viter Dees or something like that. Something like that, yeah. The Carpathian. Yeah, exactly. He's uh, the creator of this art, and it turns out that he uh, had an abusive father. He ended up uh, going in the army. He got out of the army, tracked down and killed his abusive father. He went to jail, uh, went to like a, a asylum for the criminally insane or something like that. Um, then he got this job at a veteran's place where it's rumored that he killed 
uh, somebody else, uh, one of his co-workers, and not a lot of people know much about his life, and I guess for this entire time he'd spent painting. And he used his blood to in a lot of the paintings, and I guess his spirit is like resides in these paintings, and anyone that profits off them, because he explicitly said he wanted them to be destroyed, uh, it ends up getting murdered by the paintings. Basically, it's scarier than that sounds. But um, but yeah, the and one thing I that I appreciated is they didn't really they didn't really try to explain it. They didn't try to explain like uh, you know oh uh, it was a blood curse you know and he like uh, you know he sacrificed four goats to the pagan god of what you know what I mean they just they were like he used his blood the paintings come alive deal with it kind of thing and I I appreciate when they when they do stuff like that more when they try to over explain things it becomes unnecessarily complicated and it's like it's a movie I can suspend my disbelief his spirit lives in the paintings okay you know, it was an odd. I just had no inkling that it was a horror movie. So, like at the very first, uh, there's they hire this guy to put some of the paintings in storage because, yeah. like, they're trying to increase the value. Mm-hmm. Much like Disney with their uh, movies. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, uh, but then he like decides to keep them for himself, and then he starts like uh, he uh, doesn't it grab him or something like that. I, I don't know. He it catches on fire. The painting catches on fire somehow. Yeah, he's smoking a cigarette and he drops it. And the painting catches on fire, and then his shirt catches on fire, and he rips it off. And I'll tell you, what it reminded me of is something from my own life, actually. Um, okay. When I was, like, 14, I was playing around with uh, a lighter. I was home alone. I was playing around with a lighter for some reason. And I lit the end of my shirt on fire on purpose. Unfortunately, my mom had bought the shirt from Kmart, and I think it was treated with some sort of chemical because that motherfucker went up as fast as you can imagine. Like it, within, uh, it used to be an oil painting. Within seconds, it was at my. <laughs> the flames were like at my neck. So I ripped the shirt off my body, threw it on the ground, which was the carpet, uh, singed some of my hair while I was doing it, and ran into the kitchen, got some water it out, but there was a giant hole in the carpet because of it. Jeez. How did you explain that away? Well, I told my mom that I when she got home, I told my mom that I was cooking something on the stove, and we had a gas stove, and uh, I leaned in too close, and the flame got too close to my shirt and caught it on fire. And uh, and I, she goes, well, why did you go to the living room? And I was like, well, I, ju- right. I just panicked, and I, ra- I just panicked and ran. <laughs> And then ripped it off and threw it down on the ground and, and stuff. So I didn't get in trouble for that one. Jeez. But that's what it reminded me of. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, he rips his shirt off. And uh, then he looks in the rearview mirror and he sees the guy that's uh, this Deese guy. Um, but, like, come to life from the painting in the rearview, like, of his uh, truck. So he ends up crashing into this old abandoned gas station. He gets out. He goes into the bathroom. And then there's a painting, which is weird because it's not one of his paintings. But no. It's a, but it's a painting of three monkeys. So I guess he he controls all paintings in the world, I guess. But he uh, it's a painting of like three monkeys working on a car. And the monkeys come to life and grab him and pull him into the painting, I guess. We never really see what happens to him beyond that. I, I assume he's just ripped apart by monkeys in a painting. 
<laughs> which is What's a weird, weird sentence. Yeah. What's weird about that, though, is uh, when, like, the detectives were, like, exploring, like, the crime scene or whatever, they found, like, a bag of, like, hallucinogenic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. So, to me, at first, I'm like, well, did that actually happen? Or just people being, like, really affected by this painting? Right. But then, just, like, throughout the rest of the movie, it just became more explicit that, like, the paintings... And, like you said, it wasn't just, like, his own paintings. Like, they had this, um... This, like, kind of conceptual art thing called Sphere, where, like, oh, people yeah. put their arms into it and feel different things. And at one point, one of the characters is, uh... Their arms just, like, cut off by the Sphere, which isn't made by this guy. Um, yep. Voigt, or whatever his name is. John Voigt. Yeah. John Voigt is the uh, villain in this movie. Uh, but, Angelina Jolie thinks that he's the villain in real life, too. <laughs> Yeah, the thing about this uh, that kind of I always see is funny. Like uh, when there's like a like you know how like there's often like a moral like you know tale like this one's like oh don't you know commercialize art or something possibly I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then it's just like the like almost like in Freddy Krueger like there's just like no redeeming factor like you know in some place like in Jason like oh he was drowned as a kid so he came back and you know punished all these people. Right. Like, you know you can kind of see like it's like oh, okay that's kind of like a moral vengeance but like this like much like Freddy Krueger there's just like no redeeming qualities this guy just like was a madman who like killed people and then like you know said you know burn my paintings right for no reason and oh they didn't burn the paintings that means you know he he, he, it's just like it's just it's it's weird like but like in these movies they often put like some tiny bit of sympathy you could feel for like the bad people you know like Mm -hmm. jason Voorhees, you know you could kind of feel for him as a kid like oh well they shouldn't be you know goofing around some kid might drown but in this or like nightmare on street it's like yeah this guy's just a complete 100 percent utter asshole yeah yeah, he's, I mean, I know he was abused as a kid, but it's like, yeah, they killed a bunch of other people. He was uh, a complete dick. And, like, I, I, I thought where they were going to go with it is that he painted this stuff and he knew that they were haunted or something. Or, like, I don't know, like, he, he imbued them with some kind of evil force on accident. And he was like, oh, destroy all these. And they didn't. And so then, you know, because they didn't follow his wishes, that's what they got. But it really seems like it's just like he's pissed that they didn't they did they didn't do what he told them to do. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, definitely an interesting film. It was, uh, it, like I said, well acted, uh, pretty well written. You know, it's not as good as Nightcrawler. Um, you know, it's it's not uh, the best movie that's on Netflix, but I would say it's worth it's worth your time. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was, like I said, it was, it was a fine way to pass an hour and 40 minutes or however long it is. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, interesting movie, which is, you know, that's high praise for me. I mean, what, you know, at the very least, the movie should be interesting and, you know, at least have new ideas and like new things you haven't really seen. Yeah. I thought it was, it's interesting too, at the end, uh, when Rene Russo gets got because, uh, you know, tattoos are, are art as well. And her velvet buzzsaw tattoo comes to life and uh, punctures a hole in her neck, which ends up killing her. Um, you know, and the other thing is, is Jake Gyllenhaal was trying to do the right thing once he found out that the art was uh, was supposed to be destroyed. You know, he was trying to do the right thing, but it didn't matter. He still got killed. Yeah. This, uh, this Deese guy... Uh, has no uh no um kind of discernment it's just like uh oh, fuck you guys it's just a bad egg in general 
But the one girl got to live because she didn't really profit from it. She just witnessed every single death, basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, that is Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, I got one more thing before uh, before we go, Mike. A new segment that I'm going to debut uh, on you and the listeners. Uh, every once in a while, we get... Well, actually, a lot. We get comments, uh, whether it be on the website or on YouTube or through um, our email address or or Facebook or whatever. And some of those comments are from bots, Uh, especially on the website. There are a lot of bots making a lot of comments, I guess, trying to sell whatever it is they're trying to sell. Um, So I'm calling this segment Comments from Bots. Uh, because some of them are it, like it's funny you can tell that they're not written by a human at least not a sure. human not a human being that speaks english right so this is from crazy bulk legal steroids <laughs> spot on with this write up i actually believe this site needs far more attention i'll probably be returning to read more thanks for the advice and this is on the uh week 3 nfl review <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure what advice he got from that, but uh, high praise from Crazy Bulk Legal Steroids to, uh, you know, probably be returning. And I love that, too. I actually believe this site needs far more attention. I'll probably be returning to Rio. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I'll probably be back. Well, they're going back to examine all the sites to see which ones are worthy of attention. Right. Um, this one is from Fentaraj. Garcinia, this is my first time go to see at here, and I am actually pleasant to read all at alone place. I don't know what that means, but it's almost like a haiku. Oh, this one is from uh, Hydroponics, Portland, Oregon. Here's the comment on uh, a. Uh, one of uh, our our posts combining the ph excellent know-how with an unsurpassed level of chelation ensures that the balanced ratios of the formulations used in the larger yields flowering system are always being delivered to and brought up by the vegetation root system i don't know what the fuck that means i don't know what they're trying to sell but it's almost oh. like it's we, al- we know what they're trying to sell. But I mean, it's almost like they're like, it's such a weird comment. It's so, it's not like, hey, try our, uh, you know, pot that we grow hydroponically or anything like that. It's it's just talking about the process of it. What was that in response to? Uh, that was in response to episode four, the, uh, the first Kevin Smith one. Oh, that's odd. Oh, let's Maybe see. Maybe Kevin Smith like triggers off like you know like a marijuana like you know <laughs> system. No, could, probably it does. Could be that's true. Oh, uh, here's from uh, a uh, uh, checking the uh, the report uh, bears edition. Good way of describing and good piece of writing to obtain facts about my presentation subject, which I am going to present in institution of higher learning. So, someone's going to present in an institution of higher learning the uh, the report on the uh, Bears game that the Lions played. 
Oh my god. Here's another one on the same the same one, the bears thing. The bear the, the check the report is basically just um you know, like breaking down uh the bears and breaking down the lions and you know, who has the advantage in the match in the matchup. <clears throat> I appreciate result in. I found exactly what I was having a look for. You have ended my four-day lengthy hunt. God bless you, man. Have a great day. Bye. That's from uh, livecsn.com. Have a, have a great day, too. Oh, my God. So that is some... Oh, wait, wait. Here's one more. Because uh, I love... The, there are several bots that, for some reason, use this word, and I do not know why. Hello to, to all. How is everything? I think everyone is getting more from this site, and your views are fastidious in support of new people. Not really the correct use of the word fastidious, but there are several, there are several um, ones that use fastidious. You have touched on some fastidious points here. <laughs> anyway, keep up renting. W r i n t i n g. Huh. So. We do a lot of good renting on uh, MichiganSportsEntertainment.com if you want to check that out. But that is some comments from bots. Uh, we'll, uh, it's not something we'll do all the time, but um, when we get some some funny comments from Crazy Bulk Steroids or uh, uh, Garth Brooks, Trisha Yearwood Divorce Images, <laughs> which is another one that left a, uh, a thing... Um, then we will uh, update you on that. <laughs> is that a whole website dedicated to images of uh, of Garth Brooks? Oh, apparently, apparently. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, when you click on the uh, the link that they give for their profile, it says how in order to locate love within your forties and beyond. Wow. <laughs> so apparently. They want Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood to locate love within their forties and beyond. Yeah, if you if you want some entertainment, uh, I was tipped off to this by the Your Mom's a House podcast. Uh, check out the um, the Garth Brooks like social media videos; they're insane. He's like a he's like a crazy person. Okay, I will definitely check those out. Oh well, that is our show for uh, today. Come back next week for more show. Um, you can find us on Facebook at uh, Massive Late Fee, at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee at gmail.com. You can go to Bandcamp, MassiveLateFee.Bandcamp.com. Obviously, our Patreon, Patreon.com slash Massive Late Fee. All this will be linked below. MySpace.com slash Massive Late Fee. You can Ex- make your top eight. Exactly. You can, have it. you can check out our blog there. Um. But yeah, we've uh, we've got uh, all the social medias. Also, I forgot to mention, um, we are having a contest. I actually set up the contest. We're giving away a hundred dollar gift card uh, for whoever tweets at us using the hashtag Massive Late Fee, and we're gonna pick this. We're gonna select a winner. So in order to enter, you have to, uh, you know, hashtag Massive Late Fee. The funniest or most creative way that you work massive late fee into a conversation that has nothing to do with massive late fee. 
and the best entrant will get a $100 gift card. Uh, there's a couple other consolation prizes of Massive Late Fee t-shirts, free Massive Late Fee t-shirts. So check out... Personal the- phone call from uh, Mark. He'll leave a funny voicemail. <laughs> right. I'll leave a... Uh, I'll leave a uh, a novelty uh, answering machine message for you on the retro one, but um, yeah. So uh, check out Twitter for that uh, contest. Special thanks to Jason for the theme song. Special thanks to Lester Green for being our guest today. Uh, shout outs to Leah and RJ and Roger and uh, Miranda. Um, Alex as well uh, for being Patreons on Patreon. Uh, Check us out there. And I think that's about it. We'll see you next week. Bye. See you next time.